Again, we continue with the series on the foundational principles of Christ, which is listed for us in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And there are six foundational elementary, elementary principles of Christ taught us in that passage of Scripture, which is faith toward God, our repentance from dead works through faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And the third of the series uh, of the six uh, doctrines is the doctrine of baptisms. And we are dealing with the doctrine of baptisms in this series of teachings uh, that we've been conducting over this uh, last number of, of um, weeks. And uh, we, have a, we had a look in the scripture. We saw that there's three baptisms taught distinct in the, in the scriptures. Uh, the baptism into Christ, and each believer is baptized into Christ when we're born again, and that's a, a baptism that takes place automatically. That is not something that we um, partake of as a separate baptism. But then we saw in Scripture that there are two separate baptisms taught in Scripture after we're each one of us baptized into Christ. And we saw we were baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit, for He is the one who baptizes us into Christ. He immerses us into Christ. We're fully immersed into Christ. And that, what, that is what the word baptism means. It means to be fully immersed. And so we saw that there are two subsequent baptisms that take place after we come into the kingdom. The first is, the, is water baptism. And that is also full immersion uh, into water. And uh, we've been discussing water baptism over this uh, past two teachings, and we're going to um, probably finish that particular teaching today. And then we saw that there is a third baptism called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord Jesus taught us about that baptism, and we will have a look at that baptism in further teachings uh, down the line. We saw that through water baptism, we're not saved through water baptism. That it is um, a baptism that it, it takes place in the believer's life subsequent to salvation. And we had a look at three accounts of water baptism in Scripture. And there are many others uh, listed for us in Scripture, but we just had a look at those three. And we saw that the, the requirement in order to be baptized in water is that one must first be born again. One must first have given their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and thus be saved. Um, and then we saw that water baptism is a commandment of the Lord. And it is something that the Lord has called each one of his believers to um, do. Uh, it's like the, the commandment of the Lord, uh, love one another even as I have loved you. Water baptism is a commandment of the Lord. It's like the commandment, the just shall live by faith. That is a commandment from God. The just shall live by faith. This is an instruction given to the church by the head of the church, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the two scriptures we can look at, there are others, but the two we can look at is Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Our Lord speaking, he said, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, he, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And that particular portion of scripture uh, gets taken out of context, but it, very often people say, all right, you have to believe and be baptized in order to be saved. And that's not what the Lord was saying. It's taken his uh, statement out of context because if you measure it up with the rest of Scripture, we uh, in order to be saved, we need, it, we need to just believe and we need to confess uh, Christ Jesus as our Lord. That is what uh, produces salvation in, in, the, in, the, in the believer's life and that we're born again. However, uh, water baptism is part of um, the Christian walk. It, it's a, the very first step, by and large, 
that ta you take after you're saved. And if you have a look at the New Testament scripture, and we looked at uh, the examples given to us in scripture, uh, the early church practiced water baptism almost immediately after salvation. Uh, the only instant where we see that water baptism took place uh, t um, a number of days after salvation was in Paul's case, when he was saved on the road to Damascus. Um, and three days later, he was baptized in water. Now, the reason for that was because the Lord Jesus uh, appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And so Paul was saved on his own in having an encounter with the Lord. And there was nobody who witnessed to him and nobody who then uh, was able to baptize him in water. He, he, he didn't have any other Christian around to baptize him. And so the Lord sent Ananias down there to Paul and uh, laid hands on him to heal him and baptize him in the Holy Spirit and also then baptized him in water. And so that was the, the only instance where we see a delay taking place between salvation and water baptism. And so the, the, the New Testament pattern is that when salvation takes place, water baptism, water baptism takes place almost immediately afterwards. And that's certainly not a practice that takes place in the church today. But if the church is going to be scriptural and the church is going to um, follow after the New Testament pattern for the book of Acts has been recorded for the church so that we can have a pattern, an example whereby we follow. And that is the, the pattern that the Holy Spirit has set out for us. And he said, in, by giving us these examples, he's telling us this is how the church should be run. And so it is um, completely scriptural for believers when they get born again that the church should be baptized in them immediately. Uh, when churches have altar calls in their meetings, they should then take people aside as they explain the new birth to them, so they should then be baptized in them in water as well. And you know, people say you need to maybe explain to people why they're getting baptized in water uh, before you do that. But that's not how the Bible goes. Uh, we don't explain to people uh, why they should be saved before they get saved. We just tell them they need to be, and we preach the gospel to them. When people come into the kingdom of God, they have no understanding of salvation. They just know that convicted in their hearts that they need to give their hearts to Jesus, that that which they're hearing is, sounds right, and they need to now uh, be accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But they have no understanding of what it is that they're actually doing at that particular time. It's only subsequent to salvation that we are then taught as to what actually transpired. We were born again, our old man died, we were baptized into Christ, we had taken on the nature. All of this gets taught to us after salvation. It doesn't get taught to uh, unbelievers, you, okay, we're going to teach you what's going to happen to you, and then if you really want this, you can be saved. No, because they wouldn't understand it, because it's hidden from them. In the same manner, uh, these are the foundation doctrines to the body of Christ. These are ele the elementary principles uh, to the church. And these are taught to newborn believers um, after they've come into the kingdom of God. And so uh, um, salvation takes place, water baptism takes place, and then the, the, the individual is then taught the doctrines. This is actually what has transpired. When, when you were baptized in water, this took place. And this is what you can now expect to take place in your Christian walk because you have now been baptized in water. And so no, we don't explain beforehand. We can, but it's not scriptural. The, the, the Bible um, pattern is get people into the kingdom of God, get them baptized in water, and then teach them. Uh, the doctrines of the, of, of the elementary principles of Christ, one of which is the doctrine of baptisms, and then teach them. 
uh, what water baptism really entails and what it's all about. And so there our Lord makes the, the comment that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. So he's instructing us to go out into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature um, and baptize them. Because by default, he's saying he who believes and is baptized will be saved. So the Lord is expecting his church to baptize new converts in water. And then in Matthew 28, verse 19, again, the Lord uh, giving instructions to the church before he sends into heaven. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so there our Lord is very specifically again telling the church, Part of going out and preaching the gospel is that you are to baptize newborn believers in water. And then again, we see that uh, here uh, the Lord said you need to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the church gets all caught up in, you know, what, how should, in what name should we be baptizing the saints uh, as they come into the kingdom of God. We'll, we'll touch on uh, baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, towards the end of this teaching. But the point is, is that our Lord is giving us very clear instructions that we should be baptizing new believers in water. And baptism in water is uh, full immersion into water. Um, and it's something that takes place subsequent to salvation. Now we saw in the previous teaching that the main reason why we're baptizing water is because we need to be putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Um, we saw that when we get born again, it's our spirits that are born again. We, the spirit becomes a new creation in Christ Jesus. We saw that scripture teaches us that we need to renew our minds to the word of God. And so that is a renewal that takes place as we spend time in the word of God and kind of reprogram our minds to think in line with the word of God. But the body doesn't change from the time that we're born again before we're born again till the time we after uh, we're born again our body our physical body remains the same our physical bodies will eventually be transformed into the resurrected body that our lord jesus currently has that will take place at the resurrection of the dead on the last day and that is the hope that we all have as believers that uh, we will all one day have our resurrected bodies but these current bodies that we dwell in when we uh, when we're saved doesn't change it does, there's no physical change that takes place in these bodies we also saw that these bodies are inherited from adam and that inside of these bodies that we dwell in there is the sin virus that has been passed down from generation to generation all the way from adam and eve all the way down to where we are right now today and so our bodies uh, contain the sin virus in them and we saw paul talking about the fact that before he was saved he, as, no matter how hard he tried to keep the law he couldn't and he found out the reason that he couldn't was because sin was dwelling in, in his body and sin was forcing him to, to behave in a manner that he didn't really want to behave in. And so that, uh, the Bible calls it the body of sin. And so when we're saved, we're still in this body of sin. And so God wants to deal with this body of sin now. And so the way he does it is through water baptism. For when we are baptized in water, we are baptized into Christ, into his death we're buried the, the body the physical body the whole body that's where it's full immersion the whole body is then immersed in water buried and is raised up out of the water in new life in the resurrected life of jesus christ our lord now we don't at that time receive our resurrected bodies however what does take place is god then in the spirit realm does the circumcision 
made without hands, in that he, he removes, he cuts off the, the sinful body, the, the, the body of the sins of the flesh. He, he, he removes it from us um, so that we are now free from the sin and we can now walk in righteousness. Um, and so we saw, unless we are baptized in water, because it is scriptural, the Bible teaches us very plainly that as believers, we, we who have died have been freed from sin. And so we are meant to walk completely free from sin. It was never the Lord's intention. Before we, we came into the kingdom, we were sinful. Everybody understands that concept. When we come into the kingdom of God, at that instant, we are completely cleansed from all sin, for we are washed in the blood of the Lamb from all old sins. And there is no sin in us at all, at that instant, the moment we're born again. There's no sin. Everything has been, all the sins has been washed away. So that is then now the new starting point. So we've come out of the kingdom of darkness. We're now standing in the kingdom of light for the very first time. And now there's no sin in us. And we're not expected to now carry on with our walk as believers for the rest of our lives on the earth. Now, it was never the Lord's intention that once we're born again and we're completely sinless at that instant, that the very next step we take is into sin again. It was never the Lord's intention that his children should then just go back into sin and continue walking in sin. And yet that is how a lot of uh, believers view the Christian walk, is that, oh, we're just sinners saved by grace. And that's not the, the Bible. The Bible doesn't... Jesus never calls his church sinners. He calls his church saints. Because his intention is for us to, to continue to walk as we come into the kingdom free from sin. We have died with Christ, and he who has died has been freed from sin. And so one of the problems that a lot of Christians have, because remember we said that not every believer is baptized into Christ. That's uh, uh, by default. Every single believer is baptized into Christ. However, not every believer is baptized in water. And we've gone, we went through the explanations of that. And, uh, part of it is due to ignorance in that people don't know about it. Um, part of it is due to be, uh, the churches that they are, are fellowshipping in. They don't teach it. Um, for whatever, and part of it is pure disobedience. They know about it. They know they should be baptized in water, but they do not. Uh, they do not uh, submit to the commandment of the Lord in this area. And so for whatever reason, there are numerous Christians uh, born again, saved, who will be, end up in heaven and uh, are destined for eternity with the Lord. However, in this life, they have not been baptized in water. And we said that water baptism does, has no impact on salvation. We're saved, born again uh, through the blood of the Lord and purely by believing in Him as our Lord and Savior. Water baptism does not affect our salvation. Water baptism is for this life. We said so. We, that water baptism is for the life that we live now. Why? Because water baptism deals with this physical body, this, this tangible earthly temple that we dwell in. That's what water baptism deals with. It does not deal with the spirit. The spirit is born again. The spirit is created in Christ Jesus. Water baptism has no impact on the spirit of man. Water baptism has no impact on the, on the soul and the mind of man. Water baptism has every impact on the body of man, the body of sin. And so God's instruction, bury the body of sin. Now remember we said that one who has died and departed to be with Christ, uh, their body still remain on the earth. And so what the rest of the people around them have to do is take, pick up that body and go and bury it. 
because that body is just going to decay if they just leave it there. And so we, that's what we do. We bury dead bodies. And so when we're born again, the old man dies first before we, the new man is born again on the inside of us. And so when the old man dies, the body of sin remains behind. And that body of sin has to be buried. And so we bury it in Christ through water baptism, and it is raised again in newness of life. And God does uh, the supernatural behind the scenes. The Bible talks about the fact um, in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, in him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So who does that circumcision? It's made without hands. It is God. It's Christ. The Holy Spirit does that circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. And so how does he do that? Through baptism. The scripture, scripture goes on to say, by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism. Uh, by which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so that is really what transpires in water baptism. This, the body of the sin of the flesh, for the old man has died, now you bury that body, and the body is raised up in newness of life. Now when the body is raised up in newness of life, as I, we've said before, God doesn't wave a magic wand over us, and now we have these resurrected bodies that will never sin again. And that's not the, uh, what happens at all. What happens is that God now has given us the power to overcome sin in the flesh. Sin no longer has dominion over us because that body of sin has been buried and has been raised again. But the only way that that actually transpires, um, is made manifest in the believer's life is by faith. Everything in the Christian walk is by faith. Nothing is without faith. We come into the kingdom of God by faith. We believe and so we are saved. And so when we're water baptized, we believe we bury the old uh, body of sin and we believe we're raised together in newness of life. And the Bible says, reckon yourself to be indeed dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. And so it's, a, it's a, a, an attitude that we, we, we take on and it's a, a belief that we walk in. It's by faith. And so as we do that, we can now exercise. That is why the scripture says to us, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Uh, for sin shall not have dominion over you. And we be, he who has died has been freed from sin. And so we are completely freed from sin in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, and we reign over sin of the flesh because the, the sin still is in the flesh. It's resident in there. The, the body hasn't uh, decomposed and been reconstructed. God doesn't do it that way. What God does is He then gives us the power to overcome sin in the flesh, and sin in the flesh no longer has dominion over us. But for the believer who refuses to be baptized in water, that's it. They, 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 they haven't taken the very first step. They will never experience, for the believer who refuses to be baptized in water, they will never experience the ability to overcome sin in the flesh because they have, have not buried the body of sin. They're still carrying around the body of sin that they, dwell, that they dwelt in before they were saved. It hasn't changed. And God's God. And so, you know, he, He's not going to go against His own word. He tells us to be baptized in water. He tells us what He does when we're baptized in water, in that He circumcises um, with, it, with our hands the sin of the flesh, the body of the sin of the flesh, and puts it away in, when we bury it in baptism. And God does that. 
Uh, but if we choose not to be obedient, remember James says, faith without works is dead. And so you can believe it as much as you like, but if you're not going to put into action what God tells you to do, then you're not going to walk in the victor victorious life over sin in your life. Sin, your flesh will still dominate you. Even as a, as a believer, you can spend as much time in the Word of God and praying. You will have a certain amount of victory, but you will ne not experience the fullness of victory over sin in your flesh. Sin in your flesh, you will have areas of your life that you will not be able to break it. That sin will remain, and that sin will still dominate you in those areas because you have not submitted to the, the commandment of the Lord, and you've not got God involved because you've been now rebellious. Remember we said, we, before we came to the kingdom of God, we were sons of disobedience. Everybody out there is called sons of disobedience. We have come into the kingdom of God. We are now sons of obedience. And so whatever our Lord tells us to do, that is what we do. We obey in faith. And then he does his part. And so one of the things he tells us to do, and he's not going to do it. He doesn't baptize us and bury us in water himself, come along and he dunks us in the water and brings us out. He says, no, you do that. I will do the circumcision without hands, but I expect you to go and baptize your body. You take that physical body of yours and you bury it. You bury the old man of sin, well, not the old, the old body of sin, and raise it up again, and I will cause you to then reign over sin in your mortal body, and you will have victory over sin in your mortal body. And that is the, uh, the promise to the believer. And so believers who are baptized in water can fully expect to walk a life free of sin in the flesh. But they have to do practice it by faith. It's still you have to put into um, action that which you believe. And so you continue in faith. But the believer who's never uh, gone through water baptism will not be able to apply their faith in this area because they have been disobedient in this area. And God's not going to violate his own word. He doesn't do that. He's a God of his word. And so when he tells the church to do something, if the church says we're not going to do it, he says, well, you know, if you're not going to do it, then you cannot expect this blessing in your life. We've, remember we said that the, the uh, time and again, I, I've said it, that the promises of God are conditional. And we have to meet the conditions in order to inherit the promise. You cannot inherit the promise unless you, unless you meet the conditions. Salvation. You have to believe in your heart that God has raised Christ Jesus from the dead. You have to confess with your mouth Christ Jesus as Lord in order to be saved. Those are the two conditions that have to be met. Once you meet them, you are saved. But if you choose not to meet those conditions, you choose to meet one of them. Remember we discussed about the fact that there were uh, Jewish leaders, even in Jesus' day, who believed in Jesus as being the Messiah. But they refused to confess him because they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. And so because they cho chose to rather um, receive glory from man than God... They were never saved because they only met one of the conditions. They had to meet both. You have to believe and confess in order to be saved. They were never saved. Those Jews are in hell today who knew and believed that Jesus was their Messiah. And here he was. They were sitting in his, in his meetings and they believed this is the Messiah. But they refused to confess him because they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. And so they're not saved today. And so that is what, uh, how we inherit the blessing of God, is that when God gives us a promise, he says, okay, this is the condition you have to meet in order to inherit the promise. And we say, God, I will now do what you told me to do. When we do that, 
and in faith act upon it, we inherit the blessing. But when we say, God, I'm not going to do that. I will go, I'll do it my way. God says, well, you know, I've tried. I've given you my promise. I've told you what to do in order to inherit the promise. You choose not to obey me. So now, you know, you're left to your own devices. That's the way it goes. And so that is the, the, the primary way no way, that's not the right term. The primary reason why we are baptized in water is so that we can bury the body of the sins of the flesh and raise up a newness of life and walk in newness of life. That is the primary. And that's why the early church uh, did water baptism as soon as possible after salvation because they recognized that there is sin in the flesh and it has to be dealt with. And way, the way that we deal with it is we bury it and bring out uh, the new so that the, the Christian can now walk in newness of life and not be held back by the body of the sin of the flesh. And that is the... So the longer the Christians wait in order to be baptized in water, the more of a hindrance it becomes in their Christian walk because that sin in their bodies has dominion over them and they stumble and they, they never live a victorious lives as Christians and quite a few of them eventually do fall away because uh, the, the sin in their bodies just gets the better of them and uh, overcomes them. And so that's why the early church, when you're saved, we're going to take, we're going to sort out your body as soon as possible so that you can now live victorious over uh, the sin that is indwelling in the body. Now, there is another aspect to water baptism dealing with this life as well. So the one aspect is dealing with this, the, the body of the sins of the flesh burying it and raising it up in newness of life but there is also the aspect of our service to god for the lord jesus has made us to be kings and priests unto god our father and there's certain aspects of the priesthood ministry that we need to be fulfilling in this life um, and part of that is we're meant to be offering, uh, bringing up spiritual sacrifices before the Father in uh, thanksgiving and, and prayers um, before God the Father. But there's, some, some, there's another aspect as well. Let's look at um, the scripture in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. And the, the Apostle Paul writing, well, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul writing, he says, And do not present your members. Now, when he talks about members, he's talking about our physical bodies. He's not talking about the spirit of man. He's not talking about your mind. He's talking about your members. These members are the physical bodies that we dwell in. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Because now you're in the kingdom of God. You've buried that body. So do not present your member as an instrument of unrighteousness to sin anymore. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. For we have been made alive once again. And our members we present as being alive from the dead because we buried the old body of the uh, sin of the flesh and it's been raised in newness of life. And your members, again your body, your physical body, as instruments of righteousness to God. So we're meant to present these bodies as instruments of righteousness to God. So how do we do that? We just go to God and say, God, you know, here's my body. I'm, I'm ready to serve you. I'll, I'll do... You know, here am I, Lord, use me. I think it was Isaiah said that. Remember the Lord said, who, who shall go uh, for us? And so Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And so do we just do that to say, Lord, here am I, send me? And 
No, we don't just do that because there's something that we have to do. And one of the things we have to do is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And he says here, the writer says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Okay, he's talking about our physical bodies again. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so we're meant under the new covenant to present these physical bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him. Now, this is different to the Old Testament saints. For the Old Testament saints were never instructed to present their bodies as living sacrifices before God the Father. They, that, that was just not on. They were instructed to present sacrifices before God the Father. They would present this, and there, there weren't living sacrifices, for those sacrifices were bulls and, and goats and sheep uh, who were killed and then sacrificed before, the, uh, before God. That was the sacrifice that they were called to present before God. Under the new covenant, it's different. God calls for a living sacrifice, and that living sacrifice that He calls for is our physical bodies. Let's read it again. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And so God is expecting us to present these physical bodies to Him as a living sacrifice. Now, under the Old Covenant, when a sacrifice was presented before the Lord, it had to be presented in the correct manner. God is God, and we present the sacrifice to God as He instructs us to present it to Him. We don't come up with our own thing, okay, we're going to do this, and God must now accept it. That's not how it works. God is God, and God says, this is how you will present sacrifices to me. Let's have a look at an incident in the Old Covenant where the, of all good intention, the, these two individuals presented something to before the Lord that was not as per what He had commanded. Look at the outcome. Uh, it's in Leviticus chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Um, and the scripture says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And so here are two of Aaron's sons. They have been consecrated to serve as priests. Um, Moses has gone through all of the right um, practices in order to consecrate them. They've been washed in water. They've had the oil poured upon them. They were in their priestly garments. They have done everything correct up until this time. Now what happens is the, the, the background is that the glory of God appears and people are kind of uh, awestruck by the glory of God being, uh, being made manifest in, in the tabernacle. And these two men, in response to that, so they're not, they're not being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're not being um, rebellious in, 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 a, in a way. They're not, uh, they're not trying to commit sin. They're not trying to do anything. They... they out of their own, go and take their senses, put incense, put fire into their senses, put incense on it, and go and offer it before the Lord. But it is completely out of the commandment of God. God has instructed them exactly how they are to offer uh, the incense before God. And these two men decide to do it in their own way. All right? God, this is what we're going to do to serve you. Have a look at what we can do. And 
they instantly, the Bible talks about fire comes out from the Lord and devours them and they're instantly killed. Now that's the old covenant. There was no grace under the old covenant. But look at the result. I mean, they were instantly killed because they stepped outside of God's prescribed service. God had told them exactly what they should be doing and how to do it, and they had chosen to do their own thing. And the result was that they died instantly before the Lord. Under the new covenant, there's grace. And so if we step out of line, we do things out of line before God, uh, there is grace that covers us. Now, it doesn't mean that we're covered for all eternity. Uh, you know, God covers us for a period, but He expects us to eventually get our act together. However, the point that I wanted to bring across here is that is under the old covenant, God had prescribed um, practices in order to serve Him, in order to uh, minister to Him as priests, for these were priests. These were, uh, had co been consecrated to be to serve as priests before God. Now, when we come under this covenant, and God says, I want you to present your bodies to me as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to me, which is your reasonable service. We go, okay, Lord, how do we go about doing that? Well, the first thing I want you to do is you need to baptize your body. Wash it in the water and bring it out and it, I will then do the circumcision made without hands and will put off the body of the sins of the flesh and then present that body to me holy and acceptable unto me. And so the, the Christian who chooses not to be baptized in water is not able to then fulfill this particular verse of Scripture, is not able to present their bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. If they were able to do that, then God would be ignoring His commandment that the first thing you do is you baptize that body in water and then come and present it to me. And so the, the Christians would say, well, we're not going to baptize our bodies, but we're still going to come and present our bodies to you. God's not going to accept that sacrifice because that sacrifice is not being presented to Him in the manner that He has prescribed. And so you can never serve God to the full degree that He's called you to serve Him in this life. As you can never live um, in this life um, completely free of sin if you choose not to baptize your body in water, um, because you've now cut off God's involvement there. So in this manner, you will not be able to serve God in the fullness that He's called you to serve Him in this life. Don't forget, we're not talking about eternity now. We're talking about this life. You will never be able to serve Him in the, in the fullness that He's called you to serve Him if you do not meet His conditions, meet His requirements. And so water baptism also deals with um, the way that our bodies are presented to the Lord. For under this covenant, these bodies are meant to be presented to the Lord as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto Him. So, and we're meant to take these bodies, these members, and present them as instruments unto Him for His righteousness and instruments of His righteousness. Now, if we have been rebellious and we have not submitted these bodies to water baptism, then we cannot say, God, now use these bodies. He's going to say, I can't. You're not doing what I asked you to do. And so go away and do what I've asked you to do, and then we can talk. And then we can look at using your bodies as instruments of righteousness. But the believer who chooses not to be baptized in water cuts us off and will never experience the fullness of service to God that they should experience in this life. And thus, the, the, the ramifications of the eternal rewards that are available to the believer who has been obedient in this life. 
So I think I've touched on enough regarding that aspect of water baptism because that is the main, the two, those, the two main aspects, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh and presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable before the Lord. You'll never do that unless you are baptized in water. And so that is the main reasons why we are baptized in water. And so let's have a look at, because there is opposition to water baptism. And there's a lot of Christians that get very upset when you talk about water baptism. They do not like to be um, told that they need to be baptized in water because they believe that I'm saved. It has no impact on my salvation. So what is this whole thing about water baptism? Why is, why is it that you, know, you want to teach me that I should be baptized in water? And so there is opposition that comes against water baptism. And we need to identify where the opposition actually does come from. It comes from our arch enemy, Satan. Satan is the one who is most um, against water baptism taking place in the church for a number of reasons. And, and, and the main reason he, is he knows, he understands. He understands that when a Christian is baptized in water, that there is the spiritual connotation that kicks in, that they are now able to reign over sin in their flesh. And so he does not want the Christian to have that ability to be able to reign over sin in the flesh. And so if he can get them to not be baptized in water, he has them in his um, snare, so to speak, because he's got the, they've left the back door open for him because um, they cannot now keep the, the flesh completely under because uh, they have not been obedient to God. God's no longer involved in that aspect of their lives. And so the back door has been left open for Satan to be able to um, keep them in sin. And that's what he does. And that's, that, that's, that's his ultimate goal, is to keep uh, believers. Because if he can't keep you out of the kingdom, he's going to try and keep you as ineffective in the kingdom as possible. That's what his plan is. And obviously his ultimate plan is for believers to, to get them back out of the kingdom. And that's also possible, and he can do that, for the wages of sin is death. Um, so Satan is the God of this world, and we are citizens of heaven. And as, as believers, as citizens of heaven, because we've come into the kingdom of God, we have a mandate in the earth to do certain things. God has not saved us so that we can just say, well, we're destined for heaven. Thank you very much, Lord. And now I'll just you know, sit back and wait until my time comes to go. No, while we're on this earth, we have been given a mandate to do certain things. And part of the mandate that we have received is the same mandate given to our Lord Jesus by God the Father. How do I get that? Well, let's have a look at what our Lord says about the subject. In John chapter 20, verse 21, our Lord said, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. This is after our Lord has been raised from the dead. He's appearing to the disciples. He says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so Jesus is giving us this exact same man mandate that he received from the Father. The church has got that same mandate today. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are the body of Christ. He is the head, we're the body. The body is in the earth. The head is in heaven. And we in the earth are his body. And so Jesus has not changed. His mandate from the Father remains exactly the same. In that what the Father told him to start doing when he was first sent to the earth, we're to he's to continue doing until the end of the age. 
And he said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And so the Lord is just, you know, passing on what it is that God the Father has instructed him to do. And now he's doing it through his body, who we are, the church. So what did our Lord, what was the Lord's mandate when he was on the earth? Because it's not a case of we go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. Jesus has done that. There are certain things that Christ could only do and the church doesn't do, obviously. But there are certain things that Christ did do, which the church does continue to do, um, because we are still the body of Christ. And so there's certain things that Christ began to do, which he continues to do. Preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus began by preaching the gospel. Repent uh, and be saved. And so we continue doing that. And we continue bringing people into the kingdom of God. But there's also other things that the Lord began to do, which he continues to do in the earth today. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The scripture says, um, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so when our Lord Jesus came down to the earth, he destroyed the works of the devil. In that Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how did our Lord destroy the works of the devil? Now we know he, he destroyed the works of the devil through the cross in that he destroyed sin and he destroyed the power of death. Um, and we, we, we enjoy the rewards of that today. But there also are other aspects that our Lord uh, destroyed when he was on the earth, and he continues to do that today. Acts 10 verse 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so we are to we are called to go out. Remember our Lord said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And so we're called to go out and destroy the works of the devil. As our Lord Jesus began to do uh, when he came to the earth to start his earthly ministry, so the church continues to do that today. Nothing's changed. Uh, the only thing that really has changed is that Jesus has multiplied himself, whereas he was one on his own, in that the Holy Spirit was residing in him at that time. Uh, now the Holy Spirit resides within every believer in the church. And so Jesus has multiplied himself throughout the earth. And with the church, is um, from an impact point of view, more powerful than the Lord was, because the Lord could only get to a certain number of people. But now through his body throughout the earth, he's able to impact into the lives of billions of people. And so that is what the church is mandated to do today. The church is mandated to go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. And that includes uh, physical healing. We should, we're called to lay hands on the sick that they may recover. Uh, that includes salvation. That includes getting people full with the Spirit. That includes all of what Jesus did when he was on the earth and more. Because our Lord couldn't get anybody born again, for he hadn't yet died. Our Lord couldn't get anybody full with the Spirit, for he had not yet ascended into heaven. But the church is able to accomplish those two works today. Remember our Lord said, these works that I the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. And so the greater works that we do as an, uh, newborn believers is we are able to get people born again. Jesus couldn't do that. We're able to get people filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus couldn't do that. Those are the greater works that we do. Now, a lot of Christians say, okay, we'll do the greater works. We'll get people born again. We'll get them filled with the Spirit. But healing is not for the church today. No, Jesus didn't say 
um, and, and greater works than these you're going to do. You're not going to do these works. You'll do the greater works. No, Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. And so the works that Jesus did was he healed those who were oppressed of the devil. So physical healing is part of the works that Jesus calls the church to do today. And casting out demons. That's part of these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall uh, lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. They shall cast out demons. And there are a couple of other things that the Lord mentioned in that. But those are the two that really impact on unbelievers around us. And so that is the works that we're called to do. And those are the, the works of the devil we're called to destroy. We are called to destroy the works of the devil, even as our Lord was called to destroy the works of the devil, who went about doing good and healing all the oppressed of the devil. Uh, that is what we are called to do. Uh, the scripture again, this is quoted, he says, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so for this purpose the Son of God is manifested in the earth today through his church, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So the church is mandated by God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ to go out into the earth and destroy the works of the devil. So that's where the clash comes. We have two kingdoms on this earth currently. We have Satan who is the God of this world. He is still the God of this world that has not changed. He's lost his power to the church and to the Lord Jesus Christ. For our Lord has delegated his authority to the church in the earth. Remember our Lord said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, go ye therefore. And so our Lord straight away delegates his authority on the earth to the church, because we're his body. And so, you know, the body has the same authority as the head does. It's not the head has some authority and the body has a different authority. No, we're all one body in Christ. And so we have that authority. And so Satan has lost that power from that point of view, but he still reigns over the earth. Darkness still reigns over the earth. This, this world is a world of darkness, and all the unbelievers in it are walking in darkness. And so we are the light in the earth, and we come and we, we our job is to be used of God to redeem those who are called of God to come into his kingdom. And that's where the fight takes place, because now Satan does his best to prevent them from coming out of here, because they're currently in Satan's kingdom. Our job is to go and get them and bring them out of Satan's kingdom into the kingdom of light. That is what the church is mandated to do. And that's where the fight takes place. Now, so Satan, his, his aim is to prevent the church from coming against his territory. Because it is, it's his, you know. And now our Lord taught us, he said, unless you first bind a strong man, you cannot enter his house and plunder his goods. You have to first bind the strong man. You have to deal with him. And our Lord talked about his armor. You have to take his armor away from him that he trusted in. Now, our Lord's done that. He, he's disarmed principalities and powers. So as far as the church is concerned, the church has all the authority and all the power to be able to go into Satan's territory and lay hold of those whom our Lord has called to be part of his kingdom and redeem them and bring them into the kingdom of God. So... How does Satan try to prevent the church from doing this? Because don't forget the church has now have all, has all this authority, has the mandate from God, has the mandate from the Lord Jesus Christ to go out there and destroy the works of the devil. Jesus went out there and destroyed the works of the devil. And Satan, had no, Satan was no match for the Lord when he was on the earth. Satan couldn't stop it. Um, it was one of the most frustrating things that Satan experienced because wherever Jesus went, his demons were being cast out. 
Uh, wherever Jesus went, people were being healed. The sickness that he bound, remember that woman, she was bound by Satan for 18 years. And so he had her bound for 18 years. Jesus comes along in one day, in one minute, just destroys that. And she's set free. And Satan has no defense against that. Whatever, whatever Jesus wanted to do against his kingdom, Jesus did. And Satan couldn't stop it. And so huge frustration um, for Satan realizing that his kingdom was being destroyed while he watched this man do it. And so now, he, now his worst nightmare has come to realization because now he doesn't just have to contend with one man in the earth doing this. He has to now contend with millions who are given the same anointing, the same authority, not the same fullness of anointing. Not every, not in any believer carries the full anointing that Jesus carried. That's a different uh, topic in complete. But every believer carries the full authority over all of the power of the enemy that Jesus carried. Jesus had delegated that full authority. And so Satan has no defense against a church who is walking in the knowledge of, the, of her power and knowledge of her authority and walking by faith in that and then coming into his kingdom and beginning to destroy his works. He has no defense against that. So he has to come up with a strategy in order to prevent the church from uh, wreaking havoc in his kingdom. And one of the main strategy he, strategies he uses is disobedience. If he can get the church into disobedience, then he has now um, given himself a defense in that he can now stand his ground because the, the one who's coming against him is not being obedient to God the Father and he knows it. God, uh, uh, Satan is not, you know, he, 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 there are things in the spirit realm that they're aware of that they understand and they, they know. And let's have a look at a, an account in scripture. Um, I'll, I'll just read the, the verse of Scripture and then we'll comment on it because it just highlights the point that I'm trying to get across here. Mark chapter 9, verse 29. So he said to them, the Lord talking to his disciples, this kind can come, can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And so this is the incident where the disciples were trying to cast out this demon that was causing epileptic fits in this young man. And the demon doesn't come out. And... Jesus has to cast the demon out. He comes down from the mountain and he casts the demon out. The disciples go to the Lord afterwards and say to him, Lord, why couldn't we cast him out? Because they had been used to casting out demons up until this time and they'd never had any uh, problems doing it, you know, because Jesus had given them the power to do it. And so our Lord gives them two reasons. He said, because you're unbelief. But he also, and we, there is a whole teaching along that line, but he also brings up this point. He says, this kind, so this kind of demon can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So there's a condition that has to be met in dealing with this particular kind of demon in order to get him taken out of the person, removed, being cast out. And the disciples at that time had not given themselves to any fasting and very little prayer. And the, the demon knew that. And so the demon was able to stand his ground and he could not be budged. No matter how much uh, the, the disciples were using the name of Jesus and, getting, and telling this demon to come out, he wasn't going to move because he knew his rights, kind of. Um, these who were coming against him had not done their homework, so to speak. 
They've not been spending time in fasting and prayer. And fasting and prayer has the effect of increasing the anointing on, on one's life. And so there wasn't a, a strong enough anointing that they had in order to cast out this particular demon. Now bring that over into the Christian's life, who's now trying to go out into Satan's territory and cast out demons and heal the sick and uh, you know try and bring people into the kingdom of God, who has been rebellious in that he's not submitted himself to water baptism because he doesn't think it's necessary. And you know he might have seen it in the Word of God, but it, you know, it hasn't affected my salvation, so I'll just ignore that part of the Scripture. And, you know, but I'm going to lay my hands on the sick and I'm going to raise the dead and I'm going to cast out demons. Well, that Christian is not going to be very effective because there are going to be um, sicknesses and diseases and demons that they will come against who will stand their ground because they will recognize that this Christian who's coming against them has been disobedient in this area and has not done their homework. And so they will not budge. And these Christians will experience difficulty in trying to destroy the works of the devil. In fact, most of them will not ever, ever be used of the Lord in destroying the works of the devil because they didn't even get off of first base because they weren't uh, obedient to do the very first commandment, really, that our Lord gives us when we come into the kingdom of God. Now go get baptized in water. And so they haven't done that. And so they will not be effective in destroying the works of the devil. But there is another side to it as well. And guys, don't forget, we're in this world. We're not of this world. Satan is the god of this world. And just as God actually expects the church to go on the offensive and to go into Satan's territory and destroy his works and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and get people saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, so Satan also actively comes against the church. Because, remember, our Lord went into the wilderness and Satan came to tempt him. And that was mandated by God the Father. And so God does allow. Remember the Lord said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And so, and Jesus didn't say, but not to worry because, you know, he hasn't, you know, God just ignored him. No, Jesus said, but I have prayed that your faith won't fail you. And so Satan does go before God the Father. Um, and he there is ramifications behind the scenes in the spirit realm that we as believers don't always understand. Remember, uh, Satan goes to, to God about Job. Job, uh, God the Father, the Lord Jesus brags over Job. He said to Satan, have you seen my, my servant Job? Um, in that there's no, none righteous like him in the earth. And then Satan says, yeah, but let me do this and this to him and let's see the result then. God says, okay, go do that and that, but you can't do that and that. And so the point is, and then Satan asks to sift Peter's wheat. Now, believe me, it hasn't changed. Satan still asks God the Father, I want to have a go at Mike. I want to test him in this area. And God does allow Satan into our lives to test us from time to time. For whatever reason, it happens. And so don't get all excited because it's going to happen. There's going to come a day. It's called the evil day. Let's have a look at the scripture along the line and then we can comment on it. Scriptures in Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we will have to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil, you know, a lot of Christians, I don't want don't talk to me about the devil. I don't want to know anything about the devil. Well, you know, that Satan's got you right where he wants you to be because if you don't want to know anything about the devil, then he's going to have, run, live havoc in your life and you're going to not have a clue what's going on. And uh, things are just going to go weird and you're just going to be floundering. 
He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness of our hosts in, in the heavenly places. So we are wrestling, whether you like it or not. We're in this wrestle. We're in a warfare. Um, there are the two kingdoms. Now, you can say, well, I don't want to be in this warfare. I want to sit in the background somewhere, and I don't want to get involved in any warfare. Well, in, you, you're going to be involved in some way because um, Satan is just going to come knocking at your door. He's allowed to do that. Um, and we, because why? Because God wants us to be trained for war. He wants us to, we're meant to be going the other, you know, we, we're meant to be sons of God. We're not meant to be cowering. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. And so we're expected of God to, to, to grow up and, and to get out there into the fight. In verse 13 it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in what? In the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. And so there are, there are going to come days in our lives when it's going to be an evil day. Things are going to go pear-shaped for whatever reason it might happen. Um, and it, it's, we're expected at that time to stand. But the scripture says, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And so before we stand, the scripture tells us, make sure you've done all to stand. Now for the believer... Let's go all the way back to step one. For the believer who refuses to be baptized in water, they have not done all to stand. Satan knows it. And Satan uses that to his full advantage because he knows he's got, um, a, a, what's the word? He's, he's, got a, he's got his foot in the door here because this, this Christian has been disobedient. And so there's, a, there's an element of rebelliousness about this believer. And so I can play with that. And that is what he does. And he, he you know, the Bible talks about, calls him the accuser of the brethren. He is not the false accuser of the brethren. And when he goes before God the Father, which he does, you know, that kind of blows the minds of so, uh, so many Christians, but that's exactly what happens. He goes before God and he accuses us before God. He, he says, so-and-so refuses to be baptized in water. I want to be able to sift them as wheat. And God allows that to happen. And so, guys, it is such a, a dangerous game to play, to say to yourself, well, you know, this part of the Word of God I will obey, this part of the Word of God I will disobey, because it doesn't impact on my salvation for argument's sake. And so not that, not that necessary. Any part of the Word of God that we choose knowingly to disobey, we have now opened the door just with a crack, and we said, Satan, here's a, a space for you to come in and have this evil day in my life. And I'm going to fall like a house of cards. Remember our Lord when he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Then our Lord then gives us the parable of the two individuals who build their houses. The one builds his house on the rock. The foundation digs deep and, and builds his foundation on the rock. The other one builds his house on the sand. And the flood comes to both houses. And when the flood comes, the one who has built his house on the rock, the foundation is on the rock, his house stands. Flood doesn't budget. The other one who does, he builds his house on the sand, when the flood comes, his house collapses. The only difference between the two is that the one heard the word of God and went out and was obedient. 
The other one heard the word of God and went out and did nothing. So they both heard the word of God. One acted, the other didn't. One fell, the other stayed up. And so when it comes to water baptism, it is not something that we should play around with. It is a commandment given to us of our Lord. I've given a, a quite an extensive background as to how water baptism actually does impact on our lives. And we need to be obedient and we need to be baptized in water. So if you've not been baptized in water, I would encourage you to find a church that does do this practice and go to that pastor and say, I am a believer, I need to be baptized in water and he will accommodate you and you can be baptized in water and get your act together and get, get back online with working, walking with the Lord as he's called you to walk. And now we come to being baptized in the name of the Lord. The only scripture that our Lord ever spoke about where he said, go out and baptize in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Ghost, is only the one scripture in Matthew 28. Every other scripture given to us in, in, in the Bible, talking about water baptism, speaks about being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so the name of the Son is Jesus Christ. And so we are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, let's look at a couple of scriptures just to reinforce that. Acts chapter 8 verse 16. For as yet he had fallen upon, fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 19 verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so there's more than enough scripture that talks about the fact that we are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now we can say you are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That'll be fine. It's, you know, it's, not, it's not a big issue. Um, so don't get all hung up about the name, but we are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, why is that? Because the, it, it, there's, there's two things that take place when there's water baptism. The one is, is that it is a public event. You, you know, somebody at least is there with you when you're baptized in water. And normally a lot more are there with you. So it's a public declaration that you are now in Christ and Christ is in you and you are now a disciple of Christ. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And so you're proclaiming that in the natural um, publicly before everybody. But they're not the only witnesses. In fact, they're not the most important witnesses. The other witnesses that are there that are present are the spiritual witnesses, the angelic host. And you have God's angels that are present, and you have Satan and his angels that are present. And so um, before uh, the, the spiritual realm, and God the Father and God the, the Son, everybody's there present watching this. Before them, you are declaring to all that Jesus Christ is now your Lord and your Savior, and you belong to Christ, and you take on the name of Christ, and you are baptized into him and into his name. And you are basically then taking on his, his nature, um, and it's, it's the cutoff takes place. You know, there's no, there's no more... Um, where Satan can say, yeah, but this person has, still hasn't been baptized in water, so, you know, they, they, they're still in two minds for whatever. No, you've publicly declared to everybody, natural and the spirit realm, that you are now um, baptized into Christ and you've taken on the name of Christ. And then the last comment that I wanted to make is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 um, through to verse 15. Our Lord Jesus 
is talking about him. The scripture says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. This is the head of the church. This is the Son of God who's come to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And so it is still fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus hasn't changed. And so if he, the head of the church, was baptized in water, then every single member of that body should be baptized in water as well. And it's purely, uh, if you know about water baptism and you choose not to, then you're being rebellious, you're being disobedient to God. And there are going to be ramifications that kick in. And as I, I, you know, I read, we've, we've gone down the road, we've talked on all, all the aspects to water baptism. It is a very important step to take in the life of the believer. And it's pretty much the first step that we take uh, after we're saved. And then we progress on our lives as believers in Christ. And we're going to end off the teaching on that particular point today.